Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, a number of years ago, I was serving at a church up in Washington State. Um, this was back in the early 80s, and I was on the pastoral staff. I was an associate pastor at this church. Um, back in the 80s, the one of the previous recessions that our country has gone through. And Pacific Northwest was actually hit pretty hard during that recession. And finances were really, really tight in the church. And particularly as we headed into summer months, that's kind of what happens, you know. So we knew that. But see, previously to that summer, um, in the springtime, my wife and I decided we wanted to take a vacation to Hawaii. And so we had saved up. I had found this great package deal, the whole thing, um, paid the $250 deposit. The rest was due a month before the actual trip. And, you know, we were just really looking forward and, and, and excited about a, a vacation to Hawaii. But as we got into the summer months, into June, things started getting tighter and tighter around the church. And the senior pastor came to me and he said, you know, probably would not look good with the church struggling financially for you to take this vacation in Hawaii. You know, that just might be a little too much for people. And we thought about it. We thought, yeah, you know, that's, that's true. We probably shouldn't take this trip. And so what we decided to do instead was instead of taking a vacation, paid vacation, that I would take a two-week leave of absence. Uh, we would fly back down here to the Bay Area where our family was. I would work for one week for my dad and make the money that I was going to not get for Going, you know, from taking vacation, and uh, and then we would take the second half, and we would drive down to Southern California, do the whole Disneyland thing, drive back to San Francisco, fly home, and that would be our vacation. And we thought, okay, that would be good, save the church some money, it would look a lot better, and everything like that. Turns out, not only did we lose the two hundred fifty dollar deposit because that was non refundable, the vacation ended up costing us just as much as a Hawaii trip would have. And by the end of that year, I was no longer working at that church. Yeah, and so I decided then and there, I made a vow, never, ever, ever again am I going to make a decision based upon what other people think. Yeah, how many think I have lived up to that vow? Yeah, yeah, I don't care what you think, okay? <laughs> the truth is I am far too often too easily swayed by other people's opinions, and I have a feeling I am not alone in that, that we have this need for approval, and sometimes it just drives us, and, and it gets in the way, and we start doing things because of what other people might think, or how other people might respond, or what my reputation would be, and this series that we're going through called Alter Ego, A-L-T-A-R, is all about laying your ego on the altar. It's about surrender. It's giving up your reputation. It's giving up your achievements. It's giving up um, all those things that make you feel good about you and discovering what God says about you and becoming the person he intended you to be. And today, we're going to talk about surrendering that need for approval. There is an answer to this. And we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And, and let me tell you up front, Paul wrote about this to the Galatian church, and he did so because he was no stranger to the opinions of other people. He had all kinds of critics he had people um, who, who, who said he was just too forceful and too overbearing. He had other people that said, yeah, you know, he writes great letters, but he's not all that much in person. In fact, if you read 2 Corinthians, it says that, that one of the comments of, about him was his, his preaching really doesn't amount much to anything. He had people who criticized him because he, he accepted financial support 
from churches that he had planted. He had people criticize him because he ate the wrong kind of food. He would eat meat that had been offered and sacrificed to idols. He got criticized for that. He got criticized for just about everything, for taking money, for not taking money. He got criticized for everything. He had a particular group of people. He called them the Judaizers. And these guys made it a personal um, project to go around and undo everything that Paul did. So Paul would go into a, into a city, he would preach the gospel, people would come to faith in Christ, he would establish a church, and then once that church got established, after about a year or so, he would then move on to another city, preach the gospel, people would come to faith, he would establish another church. And so many of the letters of the New Testament are actually letters of the Apostle Paul written to these churches that he had founded. Well, what happened was it was this group of people called the Judaizers, and it was their personal mission to undo all of this grace talk that Paul would talk about. So he would go to church, he would proclaim the grace of God, and then he would move on, and then this group of Judaizers would come behind and say, yeah, that grace stuff's okay, but you got to do this, that, and all these other rules and regulations. And they were a constant thorn in his side. And it particularly came to a head with the Galatian church because after Paul had started that church and moved on, this group came in and they just kind of set up camp and they started putting all kinds of other things on top of the gospel of grace. And so he wrote to the Galatian church and these are the words he wrote. If you want to follow along, we're in Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 1 and I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Then we're going to skip over to chapter 2 for a bit also. He wrote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we've already preached to you, let him be under God's curse. As we've already said, and now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16. And we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. If in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find ourselves to be among sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What Paul is saying here essentially is this. The only real answer to that need for approval And that people-pleasing stuff, the only answer to that is the grace of God. It's to understand God already says he loves you. He has already made you right. And his opinion is the only one that really matters. And all of this other stuff, this need for approval is just a trap. And it'll suck you in every time. The answer to it is grace. Because grace can free you from those traps. First one. Grace can free you from the trap of people-pleasing. Now, we all want to be loved. We do. I, I want people to like me. Don't you? 
Yeah, we all do. But when that becomes a driving force in our life, it gets us into all kinds of trouble. And you will never be able to please everybody. Even Jesus couldn't please everybody. So what makes you think you're going to be able to do it? You just can't. People-pleasing is a trap, and it'll get you every time. Now, if you want to know, do I have that problem with people-pleasing? Here's a couple of symptoms, okay? Some symptoms for pleasing, people-pleasing. If you post something on Facebook, and like within 10 seconds, you're looking for a couple of likes, and you don't get them, and you feel disappointed, okay? You take a selfie, you post it, and nobody likes it, okay? That's like being overly consumed with other people's opinions. That is a symptom, a symptom of this people-pleasing trap. Here's another one. This is one us preachers fall into all the time. Honesty, okay? There are times that I go home Sunday afternoons, and depending on how well the sermon went, kind of either makes my day or ruins my day. If you have this, this need for um, approval and other people to pat you on the back and say, good job, you know, that is a people-pleasing trap, and you're probably sucked into it. And it happens, to preach, it happens to me all the time. You know, it's just like if the sermon goes well, I feel really, really good about myself. And if the sermon doesn't go well and people just kind of stare at me and nobody's taking notes, I, just, I am bummed for the rest of the day. It, it just, just all depending on how the sermon goes. By the way, how, how's the sermon going so far? <laughs> Okay, okay, great. See how needy I am? It's, it's a, what a cheap trick. Um, no, we, but we have this. Here, here's another one. If you have difficulty saying no, somebody asks you for help, you know, and inside, everything inside of you is screaming, what are you thinking? You don't have time for that. There's no way you can possibly do that. You've got to say no, 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 no. But on the outside, you smile and say, sure, how can I help? <laughs> That's a people-pleasing trap. And Paul said, there's only one answer to it. It's to understand you are already loved and accepted in the grace of God. Because God's grace says, you are loved already. And grace is not something just for our salvation. Grace isn't just about being saved by grace. It is about living in grace God designed us to, to be guarded and guided and motivated and energized by grace every day of our lives. And that's what he keeps going back to the Galatian church and telling them. It's not about the opinions of other people. See, that was the problem for the Galatian people. They had too many voices telling them what they needed to do. He said, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Have you ever noticed some of the hardest people to please are religious people? You ever notice that? And that's what they're dealing with. And all these people telling them, this is what you got to do. That's what you got to do. All these other things. He said, listen, that is a perversion of the gospel of Christ. It is by his grace from beginning to end. It is all about what God says about you. So he writes, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Because you can't do both. If you become consumed by other people's opinions and pleasing other people, it will distract you from the work that God wants to do in your life. 
And see, that was the criticism that so many of these Judaizers put on Paul. Yeah, he's preaching an easy gospel of grace. It's just too easy. You need to know there's a hard side to this. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do all. Yeah, yeah, grace is good. You're in by grace, but now you got to live by the rules. Paul said, no, it is grace from beginning to end. And grace will free you from the people-pleasing trap. It'll also free you from the trap of religious performance. Now, what I mean by religious performance is it's doing all the acts of righteousness, as Jesus called them, acts of righteousness for the approval of other people. That's, that's, he had a group of, Jesus had a group of people called the Pharisees, and he constantly was on them. He said, you know, you do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. You fast, but when you fast, you just make yourself look to be gaunt, and you look with all sad face and the whole thing, and you, just, you put on a show of your fasting so that other people think you're really, really holy. You pray, but when you pray, you do it standing on the street corner so everybody can hear how holy you are. You give, but when you give, you blow the trumpet and you make an announcement about how much you gave to the needy. He said, you're doing the right things, but you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. You're doing it to be seen by man. And spiritual disciplines and acts of righteousness are not meant to win the approval of other people. See, that was the thing that the the Judaizers were doing with the Galatians. They were telling them, now that you're in, here's the rules you got to live by. And if you don't live by the rules, you're out. Paul said, no, it's not about all that kind of stuff. They think most of us feel like we ought to read our Bible more. We ought to go to church more. We ought to pray more. We ought to fast. And and, and we do it more out of a sense of obligation as a task and somehow winning approval. And that was never the intent of spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. See, there's two kinds of ought. There are oughts that are, you must do this. Like, you ought to pay your taxes, okay? You ought to obey the speed limit, okay? Those are oughts that you really have to do. But there's a whole different set of oughts, and these oughts are meant for your good. Like, you ought to try that restaurant. The food is great. You ought to see that movie. It was wonderful. Or you ought to take a vacation in Hawaii, okay? They are oughts, but they are oughts because they're good for you. They're things that you will enjoy. They will help you. And that's the kind of oughts that spiritual disciplines are meant to be. The goal in spiritual disciplines is freedom. Paul wrote, rule keeping is not going to do it. A person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified In fact, he goes on a little bit later. He says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines and acts of righteousness and all those things, those are good things, and you ought to do them. But you ought to do them not as obligations or winning the approval of other people or even trying to win the approval of God. You ought to do it because there's a freedom that comes with it. You ought to do it Because by it, you will grow deeper in your relationship with him. You will better understand him. See, that's the point in all of those things. I wish I had the freedom to go over to the keyboard over there and to be able to play beautiful music. I wish I had that freedom. I don't. Not because somebody would stop me, but because I can't do it. And you know why I can't do it? 
Because when I was 10 years old and I was taking piano lessons, I didn't have the discipline to practice. <laughs> I wanted to play the piano, but I wanted it to be easy. Now, my sister kept with the discipline. She could play the piano. See, and that's the goal. Does that make sense? Disciplines are meant to later bring freedom. And, and, and because she stuck with the discipline, she now can sit down and she can play the piano. And it sounds beautiful. I get there and it's either chopsticks or heart and soul. Those are the two I know, okay? You know, I can do that. It's the discipline that brings freedom. And that's what Paul's saying here. You don't go through all this ever. You don't do all this rule keeping. You don't follow all these. Because that's not where it's at. That's a trap. And there's a third trap. Grace can free you from this trap of pretending. Because when you're worried about other people's opinions, and the motivation for what you do is about how it looks and the appearances, you end up resorting to pretending. Because nobody measures up. So what we end up doing is trying to make ourselves look better than we really are. Now, I know I'm probably the only one that has this problem, okay? But that's what we do. We kind of put up a little bit. Have you ever noticed, does it ever seem to you like you look around and everybody else seems to have it all so together, and you look at yourself and you go, man, I am a mess. Or you look at people, how come it seems to come so easy and natural for them? And for me, it is such a struggle. How come, how come everybody else seems to be doing so well? And for me, I'm just like struggling along. And this is, you know why that is? Because you see the outside of everybody else. You see the inside of yourself. And let me give you a clue this morning. Everybody else around you is just as much a mess on the inside as you are. <laughs> because we are all a work in progress. We say that around here a lot. We are all people in process, and a work in progress never looks good. It is always a mess. This weekend, I started a project around our house, and I'm remodeling a bathroom, and it is a mess right now. There is dust everywhere. Everything's been torn out. I haven't, I'm just starting to put stuff back together now. Right now, it is a mess. Someday, I'm not saying when, but someday, that's going to be a beautiful bathroom, okay? Someday. My wife was here for a service. I said that. I'm not saying when, but someday it will be a beautiful. Right now, it's a mess. Someday, you will be a beautiful finished product. Right now, you're a mess, and that's okay because you're a work in progress, and God is doing something deep within you. See, here's the problem with pretense. By the way, the other word for that is hypocrisy. <laughs> when I pretend to be better than I am, then God can't change the things that really need to be changed. Because I'm so busy propping up an image that I can't get down to the core of what really needs to change. And God's grace says it's okay to not be perfect. And the beginning of that work of God is when you're willing to admit your weaknesses and your frustrations and your struggles and your limitations. Because the grace of God says you can do that. It's okay. Because you are loved and accepted just the way that you are right now. Paul says, if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find ourselves also among the sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. He says, listen, I keep talking about grace, but one thing about grace is it reveals who I really am. 
And if you look at me and you say, well, he's not so hot. He doesn't have it quite so together. Who is he to be telling us what to do? He says, listen, if you look at my life and you say I'm not perfect, he says, my answer to that is, of course not. What did you expect? (laughs) I'm a mess too. But God's grace gives me the freedom to be transformed. And it relieves us and frees us from this trap of people-pleasing and performance and pretending. And God's grace gives me the freedom to surrender to him in confidence. And that's why he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, did you notice the verb tenses there? Who loved me, past tense. Gave himself for me, past tense. Long before I decided to turn in God's direction, he already loved me. Long before I decided to follow him, he gave his life for me. See, that's the message of grace, and it is life transforming. Because now it says, I am pre loved. Like, you know, you get those, you you get in the mail, you are pre approved, you know. And then you go and you find out you still got to do all the paperwork and you're not quite as pre-approved as you thought you were, okay? Well, God's love doesn't work that way. He says you are pre-loved. You are already loved. And to make sure that you know that, I gave my life for you. And it's not about you fixing up your life on the outside so it looks better and people think better of you. It's so that you can surrender and put that ego and put those um, false labels and all that other stuff in surrender to me. And listen to what I say about you. You are loved. You are accepted. And in my grace, I already approve of you. Eugene Peterson wrote this. Grace means we don't have to hide who we really are, whitewash our reputations or disguise our hearts. We can we open about who we are. This idea of surrender is a little scary sometimes. But here's the thing. Whenever you surrender, whatever you give up, whatever you sacrifice for God's purposes for your life, what you get in return is always, always far better. And whatever you gave up, God replaces it with something more than you could imagine. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.